Hey guys, this is Alex, and welcome to the Two Dudes Brews Interviews Podcast. On today's episode, Austin and I are talking about one of the most remade, reworked, and referenced films in history. It's Akira Kurosawa's highly influential film from 1954, Seven Samurai. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review, and maybe even tell your friends about us. With that being said, we hope you enjoy the show. Anyway, we're um <laughs> we're in the spirit of Christmas. We're getting drunk. Um, yeah. we're drinking Kikori. It's a uh, a Japanese whiskey. It's uh, distilled from rice, and it's uh, pretty fucking good so far. I like it, honestly. It's, it's good by itself. It's like just sweet and has enough spice. It's almost like just an old-fashioned straight out of the bottle. It kind of is, yeah. weirdly. The sweetness of this is actually making the beer like, yes. taste different. Yes, we're drinking um, Kirin Ichiban, which I'm almost positive is like a Chinese beer, but I'm not positive on that. We were trying to be thematic in some way tonight. We've been drinking whiskey a lot late into the year. Tarted beers feel wrong this time of year, but we're also like, you and I have been like shied away from any like heavy, stouty, wintry beers. Like I just, mm. which is weird. That used to be like my favorite kind. I know. The days after those are the worst. My bones fucking hurt. I'm like, <laughs> they fucking hurt. My fucking shoulders and my neck and my elbows. I feel like somebody beat the shit out of me. <laughs> like it's awful. I can't do it. I'll never forget the hangover I had from that French toast beer that we drank a couple mm-hmm. years ago for the Isle of Dogs podcast. And it was good. Like, don't get me wrong. It was really good. Yeah. But now I'm scared of it. Exactly. You know? Those are like beers that you can have one of. Like, this is the one beer I get for the month because it takes forever to recover from. I don't know what it is, man. It's just the body doesn't love it. Ever since we've steered away from that kind of stuff, I don't have hangovers after the podcast anymore. Yeah, I know. I might be a little bit tired the day after, but that's like the farthest it goes for me. Um... Talking about like one of the most famous movies of all time, I guess. I feel like whatever we say will do some disservice and so like we'll miss something. There's a lot to miss, to be fair. We've got three and a half hours worth of material here to wade through. You know, I think the first time I watched the film, I thought it was magical. And the second time I watched the film, I still loved it. This is my third watch. I appreciated the technicalities a lot more. I really kind of soaked in a little bit more of like the script and camera work and lighting and composition, stuff that I think will come with more viewings. That's funny because that's like what I was going into, like focusing on. Really? Just because I'd heard that Kurosawa is such a visionary director. I've seen him compared to Kubrick mm-hmm. and Hitchcock, both yeah. directors that I love. And I was keeping an eye on all the techniques he used. Yeah. And God, there's a lot there. There's a lot. Very ahead of its time. You know, it's a time capsule, man. You know, Elizabeth would come in and kind of check on me or, you know, kind of ask questions a little bit. She would be like wrapping presents while I was watching it. I told her like, I know you like give me a lot of room to show you like really interesting movies. I'm not showing her fucking a house that Jack built or anything like that. (laughs) I love that you always go back to that one. (laughs) I'm not showing her like anything like super crazy. I'm not showing her like Tatan or anything like that. But like, I'm like, I don't know that you would ever get to the point with me of like wanting to sit down and watch Seven Samurai. Like, I don't think you would ever get to that level. And I would never be able to get Liv to do that. Yeah. And she's a movie buff like I am. And she's like, yeah, it's okay. Like, she's like, I don't have to like it. She said, uh, very simply, it's a film lover's movie. And I'm like, yeah, it is. I don't know if I could ever tell somebody just to check this out. It would be hard. Now, 
people at work ask me about the podcast all the time, especially now that Ryan came back. Oler? Ryan Oler. God, I love that guy. He asks about you all the time. By he's the such way. a good guy. I love him. I hope he's listening to this and hears this. <laughs> um, but people like him and Eli will ask me, like, what's next on the podcast? And when I brought up, like, we're watching a 50s Japanese black and white movie. And, like, right. nobody, it's like they freeze up all of a sudden. They don't. It's a different world, man. It's something that, like, only you and I know about because of, like, famous directors. It's, like, one of their favorite films. Uh-huh. It's, like, the greats that we talk about now, like, going back to, like, again, like, Kubrick, Hitchcock, Scorsese, all of, like, the current directors. I'm sure Tarantino to an extent. This is the shit that they thought was like masterful when they were young. Yeah. And when you go back to it, you know, there's a level of like, it's not just a movie. When you're watching it, you're like, so many of my favorite filmmakers have like looked at this and been inspired by it. So when I'm watching, there's like a level of awe. There's like such a history behind it. It's it's iconic in this really rich way. I think we had a similar discussion about the good, the bad, and the ugly mm. when we did that last year. If you talk about that movie with like Sergio Leone, he was probably influenced by this movie. I don't know. Because I know... Um, a Fistful of Dollars, the first movie in that trilogy, is basically a ripoff of this yeah. and many other films. Like Magnificent have done Seven, it. yeah. And Bugs Life, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, I just watched Bugs Life for the first time. I think I talked about it on the podcast. You did, yeah. At one point. I watched it for the first time, like over the spring or summer. And I see it, yeah. Good movie, by the way. You know, after I saw it, I was like, oh, no, like this is like one of the best Pixar films. You know, I, I never even given it a thought. I mean, it was like Toy Stories where it started for me in my head. And I was like, oh, okay, no, like Bugs Life is incredible. I think it's like sandwiched between yeah. Toy Story 1, one and 2. two. Yeah. And yeah, that'll overshadow just about anything, honestly. <laughs> you know, real talk, I don't fucking really care for Toy Story anymore. No. I don't. I don't want to watch it again. Right. But I remember how beloved it is by me. I saw Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 4 in theaters. Same. I liked both of those, too. Yeah, they were great. They knew what they were doing. They fucking get pulled on my heartstrings both fucking times, them bastards. Are you going to go see the fifth one in theaters? <sighs> yeah, whenever they announce that. I think it's already been... They're working on it right Jesus now. Jesus Christ. Just let it be. Damn Just it. let it... <laughs> um, you know, at some point in the near future, there's going to be a serious problem. We're going to have so much cool shit laying around that we're like, I'm going to be constantly berated by like, making Radiohead Beatles references. Oh, it'll, yeah. it'll be like ADHD overload. Trying to add something slightly new every time you come over. We have a fucking live band in here eventually. Yeah, it'll be us. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, man, I, enough of me gushing. I mean, how did you break up the film? Because I, I mean, it took me like a couple of weeks to watch the film. I watched it one time, just like you. It's a three and a half hour film. It's a lot. I think I broke it up into three to four different viewings. But like the first time I sat down to watch it, I only watched like the first 10 minutes. Right. Because I thought um, like this podcast was postponed temporarily. And so I think at the time I was like, I'm going to just hop in and see what this is like before I give it a full watch. And then my rhythm was kind of thrown off after that waiting an extra week. But I sat down and watched like an hour each time about. I think it took a long time to grab me. There are certainly scenes in the first act, in that first hour, that are great, and there's like excellent moments, but it's not until the invasion is about to happen later in the film right. where I was like fully into in. it. Yes. And then once it's over and I get to look at the whole picture, obviously it's a, you appreciate a it more. goddamn masterpiece. Right. See, that's, that's something that frustrates me because it's not a film that you're like, oh, I want to watch this again after I just watched it because mm-hmm. it's like it's such a time commitment 
this time of year, it's like the worst fucking time. I probably should have waited till after Christmas to do this, but it's like, you know, hey, there's going to be this hour and a half drag, you know what I mean? At a minimum. And it's so hard to get engaged in that. It's just not a movie. I think it's a film that I will return to again. We're going to do a podcast on it and like that'll be enough for me now. And I think it'll elevate the next time I watch it. I bet there's a lot going on in the first act that like I would appreciate more riding the high of finishing the film. You know what I mean? It's like the level of engagement is so little at the beginning because you know that you're going to be here a while. And so you're like you're trying to conserve energy in some facet. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's still beautiful composition and like interesting movements going on in frame. And like you're just getting introduced to a character bit by bit. But like part of that is there's a level of cheesiness going on the whole film. Yeah, to a degree. You know what I mean? It's an old ass movie. A lot of the emotions are like cranked to 10, zero to 100, overacting. We'll get into the facial acting. Yeah, for it's, sure. it's a lot, man. It can like be really off-putting. It can be. And I was worried for that first hour. Yeah, oh yeah. I worried for you because I knew this is going to be something he's going to be like, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then by the end you're going to be like, ah, okay, I kind of get it. There's a lot of blockades here. I mean, oh, yeah. Foreign movie plus three and a half hours long. Also period piece. Mm -hmm. 1592, I think, is the general year yeah. that we're working with here. So I was worried for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I was breaking up my viewings by a few days here and there. So picking back up was really hard. Yeah. Um, I finished the movie last night and I went to bed with a, a harrowing feeling. I'll be interested in how we read the ending when we get there. Yeah. When I watched the film this time around, when I got to like the middle of the film, I'm like, oh, all is good. I'm like, all is good. <laughs> Everybody is so happy. Like, this is going to be a great film to talk about. And then I finished it and I'm like, this is going to be like a really odd thematic. I, I feel like I'm going to have a real hard time putting a ribbon on this thing. I agree. I think it could go both ways yeah. in terms of is it somber or is this a happy ending? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot to get through we before do. we go there. Yeah. Um, he works with like these actors multiple times in his career. This is the only film that I've seen by him. Same. And so I, I want to venture into more of his work. I know that once like color film came out, like he did like an, a bunch of other like really ambitious films. Like I want to see Akira Kurosawa's Dreams, which is like supposed to be super fucking surreal and I've heard about that yeah, one. I, it's very I, vignette driven, I yes. think. And then um, I want to see Akiru, which is um, has our main character in that film is played by Takashi Shimura. When you say our main character? In Kiru oh, okay. is this gentleman. Oh, our, our sensei yeah. guy. Okay. So he plays the main character in Akiru, and in that film, that guy's going to die, and he spends his last, final days building a children's playground. That's the whole premise of that film. That's a lovely sounding story. It sounds like it would destroy both of us. <laughs> I know the guy that plays the drunken samurai, like the tag along. Mm -hmm. I was looking at his letterbox page today, and he's in almost every other single movie by him. He plays the main character in like Rashomon and another one, Hidden Fortress or something is what it's called. I've heard about that one. I know of Ron, I think, like R-A-N. I know like Yojimbo. That was the one that like started incorporating like squibs and shit. See, that sounds awesome. <laughs> that's the one thing that was missing here for me. Yeah. You know, when, <laughs> hey, that's something to talk about. That's something that really bothered me. 
there's a bunch of really like awful glimpses at humanity here. <laughs> yes. And you know, it's like the one thing that's missing is like blood. I want to see the blood spill from these fucking guys and it's not happening. Even though I missed it, it not being here still didn't hurt those scenes. Like there was still an intensity. Yeah. Like, it's captured in camera like via motion. It's not a shock factor. It's like uh, everything is being meticulously shown through like character movement. Very rarely is someone actually getting stabbed on screen. It's like, yeah. oh, you have one character thrusting and then you have another character like falling over mm-hmm. split, you know, split image. Most of the action, it's not like edited together like you would see right. in a modern film. Like it's usually like one take. Oh, yeah. Like wide angle. Kind of like just looking at everybody at the same time. I don't think you could do squibs there. No. I think it's a new Jimbo where there's like an infamous squibs. There's like a, a hard cut where a character slices through one and then it's like then very it, clearly an edited like, uh, oh, it cuts to like the same the actors like, like holding the slightly same moved a little bit. Yes. Like stop motion. <laughs> and then it's like spray. Hey, they tried. Exactly. It was the 60s, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, this is like 10 years before my father was born. So it's it's strange. It feels like such a long time ago. Like it, it, it it's it, it's kind of strange to like go back and watch. You know, we were talking about Oppenheimer earlier. Mm-hmm. That's about the atomic bomb and those being dropped on. Oh yeah, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. This is like barely a decade after that happened in Japan. Oh yeah, which is crazy to think about. This is like coming on the heels of like Godzilla. Yeah, <laughs> this competed with a Godzilla in theaters the year it came out. Really. I think. You know, the new Godzilla film, Minus One, is getting like really hyped up right now. I heard it's excellent. I have Shin Godzilla waiting for me at home, which is like, from, I think it's from 2016. I've never heard of that one. Um, it kind of went under the radar. It got buried by like the American Godzilla. With, like, oh, with Brian Cranston? Yeah. I've never seen those. Eh, they fucking suck. I tried. They're like, they're like the Fast and Furious versions of Godzilla. Uh... They fucking suck. I tried the Kong versus Godzilla movie yeah, like two or three years ago. I watched that too. And it about put me to sleep. God, if they, don't they fucking suck? They're so boring. Even the action was boring. Like yeah. the monster started fighting and I was yawning. You know, yeah. it was not good. God, I had to, I was so fucked up when I watched it. And that was the only, that was the only thing that was getting me there. I want to go back to like Godzilla versus Mothra, the old ones. The ones from this era. You I, know? I, watched the, I watched the first Godzilla film. Did you? Yeah. Man in a rubber suit destroying tiny city. Yeah. It was really weird. Did you like it? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen some of the Godzilla stuff from like the 70s to the early 2000s because I really loved it when I was a kid. Yeah. And all I remember is it would just cut to like Japanese people in a power plant freaking out. Freaking the fuck out. And then Godzilla would come out of the water and like knock buildings down or fight another monster. Yeah. That was the movie. That's the movie. And I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) We went to, um, so when I picked up Shin Godzilla, I picked it up at Half Price Books and I had made a deal. Me and Elizabeth made a deal. We were like, okay, hey, we're going to go in here and we're going to see some stuff that we like and we're going to want to buy a bunch of stuff, but we get one item. (laughs) We get one item a piece. And that was like, we should, like, it was a deal. Like, we we're like, yeah, fine. Went in there on the carts. The stuff that's like actually worth picking up, the stuff that like goes quickly, they put out on a cart. There was a whole Godzilla collection. Like, there was a literally from start to finish, there was a full Godzilla collection. And I was Hell like, yeah. I was like, Elizabeth, <laughs> I was like, Elizabeth, you guys, let me get this. And she's I like, bet you were the one that was pushing the number one, like the one thing yeah, rule really I, hard I was too. Like, I was like, listen, I, well, oh yeah, for sure. I was, and then I was like, Elizabeth, look at this. Look how cool this is. And she's like, mm, you remember what you said? Like, Fuck. 
fuck, I opened my mouth. I fucked up. You're going to rethink that next time. Next time I'm going to go in there and be like, I get everything. You get nothing. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the deal. But yeah, I picked up that. I want to see it. I, I hear it's like the most harrowing shit in the whole world. Like it's, it make, I hear it makes you feel terrible and I want to watch it. It sounds great. Yeah. I mean, it's right up my alley. Yeah, man. We'll have to check it out sometime together. It's a movie that I won't watch by myself. I know that much. Elizabeth will be like, fuck that. I would be down. Um, I mean, how do you feel about our cast of characters? Because like, there's a lot going on here. There's so much. I think for the first 30 to 40% of the movie, it was hard to keep track of who everybody was. Yes. Everybody has the same hairstyle in this movie. Can we talk about this for a minute? I was going to ask you because I was hoping you had answers. Oh, I have no answers. The ponytail balding combo. Yeah. The only thing that I could like piece together, I was like, maybe the men in Japan at the time thought it was manly to be bald. But then why not go all the way? Exactly. Also, in samurai culture... Isn't their hair kind of like, like... The top knot is like sacred. Yeah. There's a emphasis when our lead samurai has to cut his hair in his first scene yeah. to like impersonate a monk. So I don't think they're doing it on purpose. I thought maybe it had something to do with like they had been like scalped or embarrassed in battle. And like that was a thing that you would do. All of them have this balding effect. So I don't think that would be the case either. I think this movie would be like that much better if this wasn't the choice. It has to be a historical thing. This is coming after a stressful decade for Japan, too. I don't know how culture in Japan, like, treats men, like, what's expected of them. Oh, yeah. It's a lot different. It's like, if you think the American dream, Republican man, that, <laughs> it's like that times 10, but, like, business casual version of that. Yeah. It's like... And that makes sense. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up, because it was driving me nuts. Like, oh, yeah. Multiple main characters have this haircut so weird it like makes me feel bad for them though it seems common enough to where you wouldn't be embarrassed by it it's like everybody's got this you know i think my brain blocks it out at a certain point <laughs> to be honest with it because like even the young kid has it even the youngest of our samurai he's bald and he looks a full decade or more younger than yeah, everybody oh, else yeah. and it, it, like, he looks like he's in his 20s yeah. early 20s that's nuts it freaks me the fuck out every time i watch the film i'm always taken aback by it it's the one thing while watching I can't get over. It makes me so it makes me so uncomfortable because like <laughs> it would it, it would even work for like the older characters, but then it's like oh the freaking kid is rocking the bald spot. Like it's so weird. It was distracting in the scenes with him and Shino where they're like frolicking in the flowers. Yeah, they lay down and you see the top of his head. It's, it's like just gl like glistening. <laughs> like what the hell's going on here? Oil that fucking shit up, boy. You got a hot date. <laughs> <laughs> I think after a certain point in the movie, I do begin blocking it out too. And then I think the characters start to get fleshed out more. And many of them have defining characteristics to where I, I know and like everybody for a certain reason. Right. Honestly, that's the biggest struggle for like the first half of the film. Even the side characters have pivotal moments in the plot. I think that's why the movie is a lot to digest is because every character that we see outside of our bandits, the bandits are like a catalyst. They're nothing. They're like the goons. They're basically invisible antagonist for almost the entire movie. Exactly. Their introduction scene is about 30 seconds and yeah. then you don't see them again until they raid the village. It's so much to take in and 
it's a very slow, drawn out process to like be introduced to each character. And I think for me, the moment that changes the film is when uh, names are going to be really hard for this one. It is. I'm going to have to keep referencing. Editing is going to help me. I'm probably going to reference some characters just by their trait. Like there's a sarcastic samurai in the group, a shit talking one kind of. Yeah. Kikuchio, I think. I don't know how you say it. God I, forgive me. I'd be, the, I'd be the wrong person to ask. <laughs> you know, our, our monkey-like character. I don't know how to describe it. Jesus Christ. He's so... He's our buffoon. The wild man. Yes. Yeah. When he breaks down and is like, it's the samurai that have made the farmers this way. And like he cries in front of the other samurai. I'm like, oh, okay. That's the moment in the film where I, I think our characters become a little bit more than just like caricatures. They become a little bit more fully fleshed out. That's that's like one of my favorite scenes. Oh, by far. It introduced a, an emotional complexity that I didn't know the movie was capable of yet. Exactly. I think it's important, too, because you basically take the character that's like the nothing. Our um, comedic relief is probably our most tragic character in some way. And I think it's like some of the best acting in the film as well. Like I think that scene is like probably one of the best scenes in terms of like what an actor does on screen. I think we both agree like there's like a lot of overacting and I think it might be of the times as well and also maybe a culture thing in terms of like cinema. We've seen like 50s and 60s TV shows and movies where in America you're uh, your male lead, you're Jimmy Stewart, you're Cary Grant. They all talk like this. See, listen, you know, listen here, buddy. I got a knuckle sandwich waiting for you and you're going to eat it real good. <laughs> like that's like a really heightened form of acting. Right. But we're kind of used to it. And jumping into Seven Samurai and having this like Rikishi character who like has like the most mournful look on his face at all times. Yeah. The man that um, his wife was taken. Yeah. He overacts a lot. He was the biggest offender to me. Yes. Everybody else like looked normal compared to him. Also, Shino's father has like the deepest scowl I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't in many scenes, was he? No, not really. He plays a background character a lot. Man, he's a piece of shit. God, you know, and like there's a lot going on here. And like that's something that I want to unpack because that that's like tough to watch. Honestly, like the film is lighthearted in many ways, but that is one where it's like, God, ooh, it's like it's so it's tough to watch because you know to an extent that it was real at some point in human history. Like this is the way that like people interacted. To an extent, it's probably the way that some people interact today. And to like kind of see, this is something I want to bring up and kind of tie in on a larger scale, but like the glimpses of like the really dirty parts of humanity are like in this film. Like there are like some really awkward emotions and situations that like kind of are put on display here that I think don't really get shown in kind of like this bare bone aspect that we get in this film. Like it doesn't happen in modern cinema no. at all. It's rough. It's it's like rough to see and to know that, oh yeah, like humanity is like very capable of like this very rudimentary small level of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just icky. I'm intrigued by how the film actually wants you to feel about it. Mm -hmm. I, I know that it's depicting a time 500 years ago. But this was made 70 years ago. Right. And like the attitudes towards women in America <laughs> weren't great right. still. I don't know what it was like in Japan. Right. That's so, a lot different. So I wonder, is the intention, is it comedy at the time? I don't think, I mean. Like, it's a harrowing tone for sure. Yeah, the tone is not 
I even think at the time it was like, oh, like, ooh, like that's rough. Because I know that this film challenges a lot of Japanese traditions, kind of having like a, a semi-anti-war sentiment. Right. Or like focus on individuality and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that goes against Japanese norms at right. the time. So doing like a pro-woman thing wouldn't be out of the question, you know? I was just curious. I'm like, could this be read differently at the time? You know, uh, I mean, to me, I don't think it would be received in a way that like is when it first came out. I think the way it may have been received in Japan was like, eh, whatever. But I think like now, like in modern American culture, it like looks really bizarre. Like it yeah. looks so, I mean, America is like at the forefront of like all cultural shifts because we're so fucking free. And like, that's, <laughs> I mean, to an extent, culturally we're free. I think in many ways we're, I don't want to get into it, but that's a whole other, a whole other ball game. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Lord help us. Um, like I want to talk about fucking God. All we do is talk about Kendrick Lamar and Christopher Nolan. That's all we fucking do on this podcast. <laughs> hey, homie, I think that's you. It is me. <laughs> I fucked up. Actually, I brought up Nolan multiple times tonight. But like my fault. When we talk about a film like Oppenheimer, where I think that film like tackles humanity as a whole and like how fucked up we are, and then like that's on like a very grand scale. I think when you like tone back to something like this and like strip it down to like, oh yeah, like we're just like fucking terrible. Like yes. We're just, we're awful. And then like it gets showcased in a way, even in the end, we'll, and we'll get there, where it's like, yeah, we suck mm-hmm. a lot. You know, when this happens to Shino the second time, when it's like out in front of everybody towards the end of the film, I was expecting like the samurai to stand in the way scene, you know? Yeah. It like, doesn't happen. Like, back up, sir. Exactly. Doesn't and happen. No, they like, they do talk him down, but it's like, not in a negative way towards him. There's a distance involved. And there's like a, oh, we don't want to interfere with like village politics. Yeah. And that might be a culture thing too that is uh, not translating to me. I think when you watch a film like this where like very clearly like the farmers are shown in a way where it's like these people have been oppressed and, and mm-hmm. raped of like their women and their goods. Years of hopelessness. Yes. And that's like right from the get-go. Yeah. And like, that's like also like one of the reasons why I think the, the first half of the film is like so disengaging is it's like you can't like plug into like this sense of despair like right off the bat. It doesn't become very character based until a little ways in. Our introductory scene is Rikishi eavesdropping on the thieves briefly and then going back to the village to like give the info right like what he heard and the very first like character based scene is like villagers just screaming and running around and arguing with each other and like that's our foundation of the film that's our introduction to these characters they panic they're like chicken my favorite aspect of the film is easily like the war planning like i love that it was perfect that's like my favorite part you know um when i read through the way of kings for the first time stormlight archive a lot of that there's a lot of like military strategy like it's a lot lighter than this but that's some of my favorite <laughs> aspects of that book you know there's like spear combat and sword combat and he writes really great action like that's what it, it's what he's kind of known for in like world building and getting to see kind of this bare bones level of it is really nice i mean like we've seen other films like we've also seen the last samurai which is there's some of that in there i love the final act of that movie yeah exactly i mean it's like that stuff is 
like the scouting is interesting to me. Like when they go and scout or like pick off a few bandits at a time, you know, before the final battle, like Mm -hmm. that stuff's, it's only the most intriguing. Like it would still be interesting to watch, but it's only intriguing because our characters are moving through it. We've Mm -hmm. already established that route. So, you know, there, there's something to be said there. I love a film that I call this like a procedural where you get to see the whole process like this planning stuff, it's not like super plot heavy. It's just giving you an insight into everything that's about to happen. Right. I love movies where it's just like, here's the plan and we're going to show you every step. Right. And the execution of it. In a modern film, that would be like the 40 minutes that we spend doing that would have been wrapped up in about seven minutes. It would have been like, we're going to have a main character talk to like a side character and be like, what do we do? We have to win. <laughs> and then it's like, how do we win? This is how. Music montage. Here we are. I was about to say it's either that or a montage. Yeah, it's like... There's other movies that are like built entirely around that idea. Like mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet, but Dawn of the Dead. Mm -hmm. Like that film is like zombies are attacking them all. What do we do? We put a barricade in front of the door and we secure food sources. Like it's not a plot or drama heavy movie. It's here are the steps we take in this situation. And that's what they're doing here. And uh, I loved that. It made him feel real. It made every character feel really grounded for that reason. Yes. Even like the women and children, not even having like a face to like outside of like Shino, the women and children like being in a house watching the action happening. There was like a level of emotion there and like a reminder like, oh yeah, remember like they're still here. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And so it's not just like this testosterone thing. I mean, to an extent it is, but. There's a reason why they're hidden away right. the entire time. You know, to me, it's it's such a slice of life and time. Now it's like a woman has to be like one of the supporting main. And I'm not, and this isn't a criticism, but like, it's just of the times. It's, it's, it's a reflection of yes. that time. It's weird to look back on. And also like the times that it's portraying, like the 1500s is like, yeah, at that time. Women were like viewed as like somewhat of property in a commodity. The way all the men talk about the women and like, here's one for you. When he's like, how about I work double your share and you and me have a little one-on-one time. Like we get friendly. Yeah. It's like, you're talking to a 12 year old. (laughs) Stop that. That was weird. Stop that right now. It's coming from like one of the most likable characters. Yeah. It immediately makes him feel awful. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, now you're unredeemable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's that wear and tear from the uh, years this ex- has existed. Jesus. At least it was brief. Yeah. That was like one scene. Literally the that moment, there's um like a fun little happy little music number happening in the background. I'm like, if there was no music to this, everybody would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? But everybody's like, oh, 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 oh. That's why like, I was questioning the like, scene with Shino earlier. Yeah, it's it's like, like, what the fuck is happening? These two things clash considerably. Yeah. I almost forgot about that moment entirely. God, I'll never forget. It's the one thing that's like stuck with me. It's like burned in my brain. I'm like, no. (laughs) It might be one of the only things I can say negatively about the entire experience. Yeah, it's so it's so uncomfortable. Um, I really want to talk about technicalities. You know, I feel like we've kind of like brushed upon briefly, like what's going on. First and foremost, I think this podcast will kind of differ in some ways from others. Yeah, there's a lot here, and I don't think we're going to lay out everything in a way that's like you need to see this film before you watch or excuse me, before you listen to what we're saying. I think we're not going to break it down in a way that's going to be bare bones like this is a supplemental information podcast. 
I don't know how anybody would follow along to us ever if they haven't seen the thing. We never even like give the plot synopsis anymore. We don't do that anymore. We I just know. jump into whatever we feel like. I mean, if you really want to know what we're talking about, you can always just like read the Wikipedia. Yeah, or like watch a quick YouTube essay or like plot summary. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't even remember what my fucking thought was before this. Sorry. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. I'm a little fucked up, by the way. Are you? A little bit. This is going down so easy. That's the problem. And so is the beer. The beer is really good. The, it is. The beer is also like very floral. And I also think it's from drinking the whiskey. This is like a really great combo. Like I, the pairing we got going on right now, that's nice. I'm happy with this. Um, you were talking about shots, like technicality. I want to talk about technicalities. So I think something that has kind of kept me here and like I actually want to watch it again for this reason. This is like straight up one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's because it's so simple and everything is so practical that I think I appreciate it the most. While watching the film, I'm like, God, I can't wait till I retire. This is what it is. I'm like, <laughs> there is a reason why my grandfather watches Westerns on TV. It felt like reading a book. That's the pace and like the way that your brain processes it. It's like if you compared, you ever heard like the difference between like a kid's show that's like overstimulating and a kid's show that's like not, I guess, how to describe it. It's like, I think I know what you mean. You know what I mean? How do I describe it? It's like, it's like the difference between watching Courage the Cowardly Dog and then like watching Max and Ruby. This film feels so soft and like easy on the mind in terms of the way you can process it. I also feel like the way our brains are wired now with like social media and like TikTok, everybody wants to be able to process information like super quickly because we're so stretched thin for time, it feels like. And social media is completely fucked up the way we interact. This film feels like reading a book. There's something slow and patient about it the whole way there. It really gets to soak in. You know, part of that is like the pacing and the time that it was made in. There's a level of purity to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything is perfectly placed the way it needs to be. And I don't really know how to like describe that. If you put this up next to a modern film, for some reason it feels like just as good, but in a way that's like richer. I mean, some of the camera stuff here was better than many modern films. There was one point where I like, it was actually like, it fucked with me a little bit in terms of like camera movement. Like there's a scene where basically I, I think the camera does like a horseshoe around a pit of people and mm-hmm. the camera tracking is so shaky. And I'm like, I'm going to throw the fuck up. Like I'm so, I know exactly what scene you're talking yes. about. I think it's out in the center of the village and like they're doing like this full circle or like a U shape around this our one wild men character like hops up on a rooftop and jumps off. I think it's all within the same shot too. Yeah, it's it's a lot. If we're thinking of the same thing. I think we are. I did notice that the tracking was like incredibly shaky. And I'm just like, there's no dollies yet. Like mm-hmm. they don't have dollies at the time, mm-hmm. maybe. It's different, man. Dude, somebody moves that camera. It's like it's not like software based. We're like, oh, we're gonna track on this one point. I mentioned earlier off the air, we're like, this movie would have been like really nice to see in a lower quality. We both have watched the remaster, the Criterion remaster that is released like for streaming. And then like I have like the hard copy, you know, I think to an extent for me, it would have been nice to see that in comparison because I think some of what the remaster does is kind of just from like the still shots that I've seen of like the lower quality still frames from like the original release. 
it's like the contrast was insane from like the black and like the lighting in this film is really, really good. Like it's, it's some of my favorite. Did they try and like, what's the opposite of contrast? Um, like doesn't make everything more uniform yeah. within like lighting wise. Yeah. And it's not bad by any stretch of the means. Like I was still blown away by many shots here. For sure. Like it's again, like every frame could be a painting type of thing. For me, what saved the film, and I mean this in the best way, when a film is old like this, you have to like want to watch it. I think if anybody put this on without the intention of trying to absorb it, you'd be like, this is the stupidest fucking shit I've ever seen. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's just every frame compositionally, it's some of the best I've seen. And Knowing how old it is, it's like, yeah, there were still geniuses working with what they had at the time. There's a level of artistic vision through the film where every frame needs to work. The fundamentals are there and it's still going to be cheesy because it's old, but it works for that reason. There's a reason why it stands the test of time and it's because it lays on the foundation of being technically superior i think i read that this is one of the first movies to use a three camera setup to film an action scene where like normally they would have one camera and if you wanted like a different angle you would just have to do the scene again with the camera at a different place right and i think they would have one camera that's wide one camera that's like in a mid level Mm -hmm. and then one guy carrying it around you know and then that you would just cut between those cameras for a certain sequence and this was so far ahead of the time i've seen many hitchcock movies Mm -hmm. recently and like he's great his camera movement is awesome but this felt even more ahead of what he does i think the subject matter kind of opens itself up to be that okay you have to like display action like uh, hitchcock films are like suspenseful and like slow and it's usually like indoors right a lot of the time and this where it's like you know a group of people they could run a line through a If a frame is a square, you know, you could start in the top right corner and like do a nice curve down through the, you know, from the background to the foreground. Like there's a level of like every shot is a landscape and okay, we're going to have these characters move through a landscape. Having that painterly, there's something rich about everything that's going on here. It's actually amazing how many perfect shots are in the film, especially how many like only have like a one second of screen time, like editing out of really great shots. Later in the film, there's a lot of stuff at night. I think that's where the cinematography was like shining for me the most. Like these nighttime scenes with like the fires going. And every time it cut to something, I was like, that's beautiful. If I was the one either directing or editing, I'm like, let's sit on this for a minute. Let's look at at this. Yeah, man. I'd have a hard time like moving on. I mean, you do have to move the story, but goddamn, the direction was so good at certain moments. There's other aspects of composition and and lighting and there's a level of contrast like the hillside flower scenes like those were really interesting like those moments in the film are like really uncomfortable too because like you basically get like the virgin story in this film too which is like oh yeah really uncomfortable yeah the romance stuff was a a bit iffy yeah it was there just enough to be bothersome but not enough to like affect my overall opinion right like if you broke it down it's probably like two percent of screen time if that it's a long fucking movie long fucking movie god it's three and a half hours (laughs) long dude how long is um the good the bad and the ugly like three hours just about three hours i sat down and watched that one all in one sitting i think it's so good it was a lovely film 
<laughs> it's the <laughs> fucking best, dude. You know, that's one film in recent podcasts. I mean, hell, it was this year. It was like the beginning of the year. It was. Like spring. Early January. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn, that early. God, has it really been? It was directly after Die Hard, mm. which I did at Christmas. And we recorded Die Hard on January 1st. Going back to old stuff, man, it's like there's a reason why it works. There's always mm-hmm. a part of me that kind of there's a doubt in me going into oh, classic yeah. stuff right. every single every time. time. And I can't think of like any examples where I've truly been disappointed. Exactly. That's the Honestly. thing. Like when we watch Psycho for the first time, I'm like, ooh, Psycho. That's a super early podcast. But were we let down at all? No. It's like. I love that movie. When a film is time capsule in the way it is. For some reason, your brain adjusts immediately to that point in time where you're like, okay, these are my set of standards that I have right now. And then your appreciation adjusts based off of that. Where like those opening scenes in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, I'm like, this is beautiful. Like, this is the most beautiful (laughs) shit I've seen. And it's like, oh yeah, like you couldn't make this technology that this camera was. Like you couldn't like buy the fucking parts that are needed to service the camera that Uh, this was shot on. That's how fucking (laughs) rudimentary it was compared to what we have now. It's funny how much was actually working against that film, and it's still one of the greatest things ever despite that. Yeah. Filmed with no sound. Everybody speaks a different language on set, and it's like all dubbed over. By the way, was this done in a similar way? Yeah, for sure. 100%. I could tell the the dialogue was uh, dubbed many times. Oh, yeah. I wasn't sure about like was this filmed with no sound and like everything is just post? I think the vast majority of it is post. I don't know if you noticed this and I definitely noticed this time around. There is a lot of like reused audio throughout the film where like Ooh. the laugh track is the same for all the samurai a couple times and oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> stuff like that and like swords clashing, crowd yelling and crying and wailing. Like there the were crowd like, yelling one was the one I think I caught. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's stuff like that that's getting reused. It's always the same hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think there are moments in the film where that shines through the most and i think it's a combination of like the audio and then like the acting that's happening in camera when they come back from raiding the bandits at their base their hideout when he falls down he's like that's my wife he like immediately just like hits the ground like he's doing a fucking burpee at like football practice (laughs) it's like he just fucking hits the ground and starts like wailing and it's like ah And, and that's that's the one guy that overacts the most yeah. in the movie. And it's like, <laughs> it, it, like it's such a weird combination on the senses. Does he die? No, but he should. <laughs> God, he should have been the one to die. It actually makes sense thematically because he like he had nobody left. You know? Yeah. And um, do you remember like when he was like, "I'll go get the musket." They literally tell him he's like, "You're looking to die." The samurai tell him they say, "You are looking to die. I'll go instead." That's something I want to touch on. I feel like we've kind of laid enough down to where it's like, I want to talk about our guys. Yeah. I want to talk about like what they stand for. And like, this is what I want to talk about the most. They kind of struggle with what they stand for throughout the entire film in a way. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's kind of like the through line throughout the entire film from start to finish. Like there's a lot going on here, but like from start to finish, you know, there's some struggle with their identity as well. You know, they have like that moment of, they're looking for glory and like riches and, you know, and like they're kind of washed up. I don't know the culture of samurai. I know that they're considered ronin. 
ronin are like masterless samurai yeah, they're wanderers yeah i never really thought about this before so like they're mercenaries so what is the direction of a samurai with the master like what is their goal exactly like the, some of them like fight wars and like different clans and like you get like when in japanese culture feudal japan the history of japan is insane like there are like so many dynasties and like these old 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 cultures where they like know war in a way beyond us they fought more wars than america has like as a culture they've like fought themselves many times i think right like different clans and it's so weird compared to american culture american culture is like well came in here we took this shit man it was real nice <laughs> and then we fucked it up but it's still ours god damn it <laughs> and we're winning for that reason because it's still our fucking land <laughs> god i hate to do that but it, you know it's just you're not wrong <laughs> There's a certain level of American pride. I find that entire aspect really intriguing. Yeah, you know, it's like they live in a different culture, man. So what did all these guys get up to? Like in real life, what did a masterless samurai do? A ronin? They're swords for hire, man. Their life is exactly what they are doing. Glorified hitman? Their identity is what they are in the film. At the end of the day, they're guys that get hired for a job and then like try to like maintain a level of stoicism. I think it kind of shows towards the end of the film, which I don't know if I want to go. Maybe we're here already and I don't know it, but the samurai, their swords for hire and they like really lift up these farmer peasant village people. But like in the end, they're still disconnected from each other. I think it kind of shows at the end of the film that like, oh God, like the journey was a great while it was happening. It was awesome. I think I know what you're trying to say. The moment the job is accomplished They've been severed from this community. They are no longer needed. Yeah. And they have sucks. suffered great loss. Yeah. It's, that's like just the end of the road in, in terms of this story. Exactly. It's like, what now? I don't really, uh, I don't even know how to feel about it. Like it's so, it's like a five minute cap on this three and a half hour film. You would think this would be like a 20 to 30 minutes. Or like <laughs> you need to sit here and you need to like let this soak in. And like this needs to be given to you in a slow drip. There needs to be another 20 minutes of small interactions between the samurai and the villagers before they depart from each other. And that doesn't happen. It's like immediately the battle's over and then like they sever from each other. That's a good way to put it. Thank you. I mm. completed my thought. Like <laughs> I don't even know how to feel about it. It like breaks my heart in a way because like from start to finish, you're like, you know, right before this happens, it's like everything is good. Like even though like people do die in like some of our main characters that are beloved you're like they died and it feels okay that they died because they were so invested in this community and then like after that it's like no <laughs> it's like it was all for nothing i guess it all depends on how you read our master samurai's like last line of dialogue i don't know exactly what it was but he says like the village benefited but not us and then it he cuts says the, the credits immediately he's like um we have suffered great loss. The victory belongs to the peasants. It's shot with like the graves as the backdrop. And it's like really harrowing. Perfect composition, by the way. It is. And I don't know how to read that because is there a sense of honor about doing this? They're elevated above in the shot too. The sword's in the ground. The graves are not being looked down upon. They're above. <laughs> is it like the cause? The fact that they did this for nothing the honor you gain from that 
like the personal honor. Like, is, is this a positive for them? Right. It's weird because like we're ending off on a moment where like none of these characters have, have had time to even digest the moment themselves. Right. There's no finality in the people that it affects the most. Even our, uh, our young samurai gets like totally blown off by Shino. That was weird. It is weird. It's an interesting scene. Like she like goes to dancing and rebuilding and like they're all doing this like song together Mm -hmm. as they rebuild and he just gets cut off completely after that. You know, and that opens the door, I think earlier in the film where our comedic relief character, forgive me, I'm not even going to try at this point to name him, but like, you know, when he talks about, oh, this was me, like he's carrying that, holding that child. In one of the best moments of the film. Yeah. Some of these moments of open-endedness kind of like allow discussion and further contemplation on like, okay, kind of like what happens after this? Because it's like, okay, well, like, I know for a goddamn fact that boy didn't rap his willy before he fucked that bitch. (laughs) So it's like, so it's like. That's a great point. You know, it's like, is that, is he going to have, like, is his son going to be born into this village that, you know, he's never going to meet or something? And like, you know, stuff like that where I'm like life will go on yeah and then like there's a level of they're like outcasting these these samurai now and it only like sows more sorrow it only weaves in a fabric of like pain in the Mm -hmm. end and like that's like really sad for me one of the reasons why the film is like kind of good even though like i don't even know that i love it to the way that i think i should does that make sense like there's a level of appreciation right I definitely appreciated it more than I fell in love. Exactly. I'm glad I watched it. Like, right. This was an enriching experience. That's the thing. It's like every time I watch the film, I'm watching it because I love films, but I don't know that I love the movie itself in the way that I love other films. Like it's not enough in some ways. I don't know if it's like the culture, like if there's too many barriers to entry, like maybe I'll love it more as I get older. Like the more you learn, the right. richer the movie will become. Right. I'm sure that is the case or will be the case. I mean, don't get me wrong. This was a goddamn masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> but like you and you and I are young in our film like exploration. Yeah. Like which we're is gonna, weird to think about. We're going to go into like other movies like this where we're like, there's going to be a section of the podcast where we go to old films and like digest them yeah. in a way. I'm like, that's okay. But I don't know right now that I'm like in love with the film the way I want to be. That's hard because like I respect it, but I'm also like not, oh yeah, this is in my top 10 films of all time. It's not that. It's not one of my new favorites. Right. What else have you seen from this era? Because my classic film repertoire is like almost exclusively Alfred Hitchcock. I don't have a lot. Like I need to see a lot. Like it's like this and Godzilla are like classic Japanese films that I've seen. Stuff like with the same pacing and tone is like the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's it. So it's like, I'm really dry on that. I'm in the same boat. You know, I think maybe like as we watch more of things from similar times or like more spaghetti Western or classics, more Hitchcock, if you bring it in or anything, you know, same lane, the movie might get better for me, but like, it's also classic cinema. It's a little bit of a, like a school project. I almost said that earlier. Like this felt more like studying than entertainment. And that's Okay. And I kind of thought that would be what we did. And we need to hit that every once in a while, I think. I think when I recommended the movie, I wanted it to be like this really emotion heavy film. That's what I wanted the podcast to be. I wanted to be, oh, uh, let's talk about 
how emotionally impactful this is right here. But like when I finish the film, it's I think it needs to be more of a uh, methodical dissection of like the old way. I think we did that to an extent. It's just not it's not enough, and I don't know why. Hmm. I want it, I want it to be my new favorite. You know what I mean? We both agree that it's like perfect, but it's also it's not necessarily for you. This is really ambitious for the time, right? Like, it's an yeah. insane movie. Yes. Dude, there's a fucking intermission that's like still in the cut. Like they leave loved, it in. I loved that. When it happened, did you sit there and be like, somebody got up to use the bathroom or somebody <laughs> got to get another soda? Like somebody went to a theater and watched this. You know what I mean? Like that was what was nice about it. That was like one of the moments I paused and like picked up later. So I picked up on the intermission, you know? Mm. See, I watched through the intermission all the times I've seen it. And every time I watch it, I sit there and I go, I'm like, somebody fucking got up to piss. How this long was the intermission? Like five it's, minutes? It's like fifth. No, I think it's like God, is it that? five to eight, maybe. I fast forwarded through it when I went back to it. I think like the film is really engaging for what it is, though. Oh, yeah. You know, dude, that's something to be said. The last act, which we, like, we haven't really talked about, like I know. the war stuff. My heart was racing the entire time. Yeah. I know that one of the big plot points is like the three houses that lie on the outside of the village. Yeah. And they really build that up. So when we get to the raid, we have this perfect shot of like all three of those houses burning. It's like from a distance and they're all in frame. And like there was this harrowing feeling in my yeah. heart when that scene was going on. Villagers are crying and fucking weeping about their house yeah. being destroyed. And there's like a level of realism and like humanity to it. That's like one of the shining moments, I think. There's a lot going on, and for the whole film, it feels really grounded. The situations are big for like a small amount of people. You know what I mean? So like you're really invested in this big dramatic event for what ultimately is like a group of like 50 people with like maybe seven main characters, like characters mm -hmm. that we really interact with. But this is their world. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and it's built up that way. Um, I want to talk about some of our like samurai relationships. I don't want to like, I don't want to end the podcast just yet. Our youngest samurai with like the silent master. I love that little storyline. Like that was nice. Like very lovey dovey character versus brick wall basically. Yeah. And then like you get the, you get to see the brick wall break where he just tells him, he's like, I think you're a magnificent person. <laughs> I love this. I'm like, fuck yeah. I'm like, fuck yeah, man. That's just the way you, you know, I think something that gets lost in modern culture is just people like complimenting each other deeply. You know what I mean? Like, it's always gotta be like, I like your shoes or I like your hair. No one can be like, I love your personality. Yeah. No one ever just says like some really endearing shit just off the rip. This is your thing. This is my thing. You're you're great at that. That's who I am. It catches people off guard a lot. And I'm like, I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. You know what I mean? I'm like, I know. I just like you a lot, you know? <laughs> you haven't sent me a uh, getter, brother. Getter. I'm so glad to have you in my life. My boy. I'm always so happy to get those. I don't know if I've ever expressed that hey, to you. I appreciate that. Like nobody else I know does that. It's excellent. You got to do, do it. You got to do it, man. We're only here for like a short amount of time, you know, like. We're going to fucking die one day. You might as well make the best of it. Everybody needs to hear it. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. That's probably my favorite character interaction was that one. There's something very cute about it. Yeah. Sure. I'm intrigued by our master samurai character in terms mm -hmm. of how he interacts with everybody else. 
he's incredibly neutral. Like, there's nothing heated about his relationship with any of the other samurai. There's not even, like, big drama involving nah. his character. He's like the glue. Well, I mean, he's, he should be. He's a leader. We get his introduction early on where he cuts his hair to mm-hmm. impersonate a monk. And then the rest of the movie, he, like, stands around and, like, gives orders, kind of. Yeah. Like, he's a very... He's not a super active character in terms of physicality. Right. It's all, like, his direction from that point forward. He operates the story with his mind. He's... Less about being on screen and more about directing. Yes. I'm even having a hard time remembering like him in battle right. at the end. Does he swing a sword even? He does. But it's also like um, he's also giving orders and like relaying messages or telling somebody to relay a message. And, you know, so things are very, it's also like a very chaotic last 30 minutes where it's just, there's a lot happening. It's pretty nonstop at that point. I'm intrigued by like our madman character. Our comedic relief, the drunk guy. Yeah. Because he has like kind of a divisive relationship with everybody. He's not even wanted there in the first place. Would you consider this guy to be like the protagonist? Is there a protagonist in this film? He's listed as the lead on Letterboxd. I don't know about other places. I don't know. Mm. But he's one of the more prominent characters. He always is on screen doing something interesting. But like... The exploratory stuff involving him doesn't come to way later. Yeah, and also, I don't really think the beginning of the film really even establishes a main character. It's really just like, here's the situation. Yeah. It doesn't really ever feel like there's somebody at the helm. It's more of like these two groups of people. The samurai as a collective are the main characters. The villagers and their situation is the plot that they move through. That's a good way to put it. There's really not somebody singular. Do you think that there's a good representative character in the cast of the villagers? Like, do you think there's enough focus on, like, one of those guys? Um, like, Rikishi is kind of like that. Kind of. He's, he's just really worried all the time. <laughs> he's not really much of a character. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, he's like the middle-aged He's on his way to being weathered by time like our like village elders. He's on his way there. And then you have like Shino and her father are another aspect of the village that is like being played out. But it, it's not like the momentum of the story has ever moved mo- through them directly. Exactly. Everything is so situational. Every character is serving more of like towards the idea of the group rather than like the character being the focus. The bandits are the bandits, the samurai are the samurai, and the farmers are the farmers. And, like, that's kind of it. And every character needs to, like, belong in that group and not outshine the group itself. That's kind of where they lie. The reason I ask is because our wild, I don't even know what to call him technically, Yeah, our tag-along samurai, he's the only one that doesn't feel like he's technically any of these things. You know what I mean? That's fair. And he has the most on-screen personality of everybody. Right. But He's the most opinionated. If that was the case, like if he was the protagonist, even if he wasn't considered the protagonist, I think he should have lived. Mm-hmm. He should have been one of the living samurais at the end. And I was actually mm-hmm. kind of disappointed that he died. Like not just because yeah. I liked the character, but like for story reasons, you know? Part of his tragedy needs to feel like it lives on. Yeah, and that was kind of an element missing for me, like, in the very end. I mean, I kind of agree, because his death kind of feels, like, really anticlimactic in a way, too. 
if he was going to be listed as the main character and he needs to be like the focus of the story as far as like a t- titular character, which like he does to an extent, like have, I think, some of the more emotionally impactful moments and like displays of acting or. He has more of an arc than anybody here. Right. Like, he probably shouldn't have died. And if he was going to die, I feel like his death should be more of like a final showdown. Like there should have been more of emphasis on like it being isolated compared to like it kind of just being like he dies in the heat of the chaos. Yeah. Which is more realistic. Right. Because for sure. Battle is messy. Exactly. And I think like this film does a really good job of like showing that it's not perfect. War is messy. There's like a level of adrenaline throughout the entire thing. And I think like this film captures that rather than most films are like, all right, can everybody like just stop shooting in this direction so we can like film this really cool fucking moment about to happen? Like, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) these two characters need to monologue in safety. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. There isn't any of that here. So it kind of breaks those rules. Is it breaking the rules or is the cliche non-existent at the time? Mm. Because from what I know, I think this is the first movie that even features characters teaming up for a common goal. This is the first time this has ever happened in film. Like, oh, fuck. like the story involves a group coming together and like bonding and learning to work, you know? They were the OG Avengers. That was listed as one of the films that was influenced by this. Right. Like anything, like Ocean's Eleven, you know? Right. Like any team up movie. Which is wild. So if that's the first time this has happened, then I just wonder how, like when certain cliches are established within right. film history. Mm. You know, it's like I'm really missing that a uh, this one scene where the samurai steps in. To, <laughs> it's like, well, they haven't really done that yet. Maybe right. that's wild to think about. Some of it too. When you think about samurai, you think about like dudes that are like drip the fuck out in cool ass armor. They get like almost none of that here. And like no, it's like everything's like really bare bones and part of that makes it like extremely believable like there's nothing like beautiful about the way these people look like a lot of them are fucking ugly as shit (laughs) i'm like they look like they've been through some fucking rough times you know what good people in film are too pretty most of the time not everybody can be they don't have that model face i like some ugly mugs in my film yeah man (laughs) me too (laughs) You know, I don't think that all seven samurai stood out to me. No. Good fucking point. There is at least two that I'm like, eh. And one of them is the first one that dies. Yeah. Because once it happens, I'm like, wait, who died? Who, who was that? Who, who's missing from the group right now? Right. And I couldn't mm-hmm. even think of it. And it was kind of an awkward uh, scene where that happens. Yeah. I think that's one of the moments in the film where I thought the direction in the camera was like just a little bit too chaotic for me to like let a moment like that sink in. I just know a gunshot went off and right. something bad happened because like the music cue was mournful all of a right. sudden. But I was like, wait, what happened? Exactly. There's a little bit of that throughout the entire film where like, I don't know if you felt this, but for me, although like I think the film is engaging for what it is, it's long. So your brain kind of paces it a little differently. But like some of the editing is, you know, hard to grab onto at times. It is. In 2023. Right. It's very hard. From my understanding, the editing of this is, insane for the time exactly yeah you're right that entire sequence with uh like them invading the thief's village you find that rikishi's wife is still alive she's alive and is she willingly there or is she a prisoner because she commits suicide out of dishonor from what i'm guessing for the most part yeah 
which is like something I had to think about for a few minutes after it happened. I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Just occurred. I think there's a reason why like she didn't like panic when the fucking building was on fire. She was like, finally. <laughs> yeah. And I was really intrigued by that scene because there's a, a long shot of just her reaction to the fire. Mm-hmm. Like this uh, disillusionment, almost boredom mm-hmm. <laughs> by it. Mm-hmm. It felt like very like art housey all of a sudden. Like, yeah, like to get real that, surreal. Yeah. And it makes sense after the fact. But right. um, I was curious if you were like confused by that entire sequence though. Because I, I, for, I forgot that she was the wife when she was first on screen. Wait, does she show up earlier? No, 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 no. I just forgot that like that was what was happening. Oh. Yeah, you mentioned that you saw this. This is the third time you've yes. seen this. I remember the first time because you told me about it. Yeah. When did you watch it a second time on your own? I don't know. It was November of last year, if I remember correctly. Because Elizabeth told me I watched it twice. I was like, did mm-hmm. I watch it twice? She's like, yeah, you watched it twice. Like She's like, once when you're by yourself and once when I came over. And I was like, oh, okay. I did watch it twice. And we trust our woman to remember better than we do. Yeah, I do. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I did that. I need you here. You're like a human diary. <laughs> Piss break. What else do you want to cover? Are we missing anything? I don't think so. The soundtrack's kind of lackluster, but like also my standards have changed. Like I think probably for the time it was like, oh, it was fine. Yeah, it was a lot of like just percussion. Dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun. There's like a theme though. There's like a theme like the. And I noticed that a few times and it's not the strongest theme in the world, but it was a theme. It was something. (laughs) It wasn't like uh, pulling on your heartstrings like I wanted it to, you know? I don't feel like the sound mixing even demanded that the soundtrack be heard that much. Right. I felt the use of music was kind of minimal. Right. If you're including the entire runtime. There's a lot of like stretches of oh, yeah. quiet in this too. Which is like weird for what we're used to. There's like music constantly in film now. Oh yeah. Every scene. All the time. That is kind of tiresome to me. I like silent film. Not silent films, but <laughs> oh, a little uh, bit of Charlie Chapman really really makes my day. <laughs> we made it go down that road one day. You never know. I want to balance. You ever seen the movie No Country for Old Men? I've never seen it. There's not a single, single note of music in that film. I would love that. The silence is the soundtrack. But like that that allows a scene to be what it is without being film manipulated. Trying yeah, like the emotion just fucked with. Like that's something that we talked about earlier with like the fucking twelve year old fucking how about you and me get friendly, huh? Ha 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 ha. That would have happened without fucking music, it'd have been like a horror scene yeah it'd have been like <laughs> somebody fucking get the handcuffs get this fucking man away from this child <laughs> we've talked about oppenheimer multiple times throughout this podcast of course we'll probably do it for the next 10 years which i think is a 10 out of 10 film it's an 11 out of 10 film in my mind even maybe right and i'm not even like a huge christopher nolan stan bullshit fucking bullshit i'm i call bullshit Bullshit, motherfucker. <laughs> I, I love him, but I'm not a stan. I'm a stan. I appreciate him. There's an overabundance of music in Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. In the first act, I think it's actually too much. Yeah, it is a lot in the first act. Like, in the first 40 minutes, we need at least a few silent scenes. Right. Like, quiet, meditative stuff. Literally, the first 20 minutes, it's like a constant. It's the a montage. Time. The film begins with a montage for 30 minutes almost. Yeah. And it, 
it's great, but there's a few times where I'm like, let's turn the music down for a minute. <laughs> and I think I appreciated that here, you know? Yeah. A lot of quiet, a lot of solitude. It's nice on the brain. It's kind of one of the, like, why I want to check out other old films where it's just like, I want to see, you know. It's kind of hard to know where to start in that realm. Yeah. Like, where do you I go? I know. How do you discover the not so obvious stuff? It is. It's tough. And... I think a lot of it is just, I think for you specifically, you like really grab on directors and just like I do blow through their filmography. And me, I'm like, I kind of want to like dip my toes a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Really? Uh, yeah. Like I'm, I don't consume as much film and TV that you do. And You're like this with music too. I am. I like bounce around a lot. Like I don't listen to albums a lot unless I'm like really passionate about an artist. That is music to me albums yeah, like that's how i view the entirety of music i know and to me i want to like go through so many genres so quickly that like i don't really have a whole lot of time to do that mm. and i'm constantly cycling through different genres like i've moved on from like the classical i'm on to like <laughs> indie right now and then i'm i'm getting ready to go back into hip-hop i already know yeah yeah, I, I guess I'm gonna find this out once we turn the speaker on. In a few on. minutes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to your uh, 2010s hip hop playlist, by the way, on Spotify, and that I made don't me, even know what's on there. <laughs> that made me very happy. I was like, "Yes, this is. I'm back. I'm back. I have yeah? a set of fucking balls again." <laughs> well, thank you for listening to being the only person to listen to a playlist I made. I think I am the only save. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we have our eras, right? And I'm very like single artistic voice. That's what I focus on. Yeah, for sure. Like I just went through like a nine month David Lynch era and I think it's done with. I've completed the Lynch era, you know, I like still want to check out more by him, but like I kind of want to like, he's amazing. I want to leave that to you though, to be like, this is where we're going with it next because I feel like it's going to be a while before I recommend him again. That's okay. A year or two probably. That's cool. You know, that's cool. I'll get there. There might be a time where I'm like, I'm in love. I don't have that level of commitment right now to directors in the way that I'm like looking forward to new releases a lot. I've not been in that boat recently. For me, that's what I'm into right now. I want to I look at like new shit with like the boy and the heron watching that last night. Like I was like, <laughs> I was fucking hyped for that. Like it was a big deal for me. No matter like how I felt about the film in the end, I was like excited to go see this movie in theaters. Like mm -hmm. same with like Oppenheimer. When we saw Oppenheimer, it felt like. The biggest deal. I'm like, I'm going to go watch. It was the biggest deal. I'm going to watch a fucking Christopher Nolan film on fucking IMAX. And like you and I are going to go see it together. I'm like, we've talked about Nolan forever and we need to go see a film by him. Yeah. I wish we could have stood outside the theater for 40 minutes and talked about it that I night. Know. I got in my car and I sat in the theater parking lot by myself for 40 minutes yeah. instead. Yeah. You know? I had to go home and immediately like brush under the rug. I was like, <laughs> you know, with Elizabeth's uh, family. If it was just me and you, we would have sat there. Like we would have been like, all right, let's go back. We gotta get on the we gotta get on the mics. We gotta talk. I was destroyed that night. Yeah, I felt like I could have died that night and been like, we are fucked up as a fucking human race. <laughs> I'm like, we deserve this. We deserve death. <laughs> like we fucking terrible. I'm sure we're gonna talk about the movie once we get off the air too at some point. Yeah, because I would love to actually. Yeah, we we <laughs> got to watch it again for sure. Yes. Are we done? Are we good? I think we're good. I don't even know how to be like. Yeah, this is how I feel. It's just a weird headspace to get into. 
Or like, I don't really feel like I need to form an opinion. I just feel like I need to let somebody know that I watched it. <laughs> you know? I'm like, I watched it. All right? I'm educated. <laughs> I did my research. I mean, do we agree that it's a masterpiece? Like, how do you even score it? Like, I think if, like, I'm watching it by myself and, like, from start to finish, I'd be, like, an 8 out of 10. I agree with that to an extent. But it's hard to ignore right. historical, just what the film did for film. It's hard to ignore that factor when you're, like, bringing in ratings. Right. I'm going to give it a 10 because I don't know how I could not give it a 10. But, I mean, I'm not dying to return to Seven Samurai immediately in the same right. way that I do with other films that I've become obsessed with. This isn't in that lane. This was, like, a great piece of history. Yeah. I'm comfortable with that. I mean, yeah, it's a masterpiece, but, like, personal opinion, I'm like, it's like an 8 out of 10 movie for me. I'd be along the same lines, right. too. It's like, I'm only acting out of respect, when it comes to like calling it a masterpiece, personal enjoyment, it's like eight out of 10, which I don't really think I've done before. So I think there's something to be said there. Like there's a reason why it has standed the test of time. Did you enjoy the good, the bad and the ugly more than this, for example? Yeah, I think so. But I also think there's probably a reason for that too. Like that film's in color and I think the soundtrack is a lot more engaging in that film. Like there's, there's Amer a lot American setting. Yeah. There's more a lot modern. Yeah. There's a lot more to relate there than yeah. this film. So this is like even more obscure than that. So I'm comfortable with that. And I kind of figured this is how that would go. I like want to know what you're recommending because I have an idea, but it's only if you're recommending an album, I'm not doing an album. Okay. So Austin, as you know, Christmas is coming up. We've mentioned it multiple times through the episode. Yes. The stress of the holidays. It's the best. And I texted you a few weeks ago about me not doing a Christmas recommendation. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if we'll get together on time to even right. get it out by then. That leads me to go down the diehard route again. <laughs> not quite the same. We're, okay. not, we're not doing 80s Fuck, action. I thought we were going to do diehard too. <laughs> you don't want it. <laughs> I promise Fuck. you, you don't want to do Die Hard 2. Fuck. It sucks. Damn. It's not that bad, but it's oh. not great. I think what I'm trying to say is we're going to do something Christmas adjacent. A film that just so happens to take place around this time of year. Okay. But in this film, it's not as pivotal as it is in Die Hard. Okay. It's like barely there. This is a film that I saw last year, and it's by a director that we haven't talked about on the podcast and it features three leads that we've never talked about on a recommended episode. Okay. But it's a director that you've seen a film from. Okay. And it features two of the leads together again. The last time we talked about this trio of talent, it involved a corrupt policeman, a village idiot, a donkey, and two best friends quarreling over the Irish hillsides. Oh, okay. This is director... Martin McDonough, in his film debut, a film about two hitmen hanging out in Europe after a job gone bad okay. during the holidays. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. It features Colin Farrell. Yeah. Brandon Gleeson. Yes. And Ray Fiennes. Okay. It is the film In Bruges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Different route. We haven't really done anything like this before. Crime comedy. No, we've never done this. I watched this last year, and 
it balances its tones so well where like the serious stuff is serious right and the comedy is fucking hilarious and the performances are great <sighs> we've never really done anything with this kind of tone and it's like a section of film that i kind of forget about a lot where it's like a it's like a dramedy we haven't really touched on that it's like when the crime is played up as kind of a farce yes like within the plot i think fargo kind of hits a similar level in a way yeah like the coens do that a lot the like, plot will entice you and the character stuff will draw you in but the writing feels like tarantino and coens type stuff okay. you know this is like an older film like early 2000s it's 2008 i okay. think fair enough this duo brandon gleason colin farrell they were in the banshees of inishirin yeah which we both loved and uh it's like a bit of a reverse of that dynamic where like colin farrell is the serious one and brandon mm. gleason is the lighthearted okay. one. okay yeah you know i think it's great and i hope that you think the same i probably will yeah you know what i really want you to do what's that I watched like half of this movie like not too long ago. It was like the week before I moved out. The Nice Guys? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Yes. I want you to do that soon because I watched that and I was like, yes, this is the best movie ever. <laughs> I've thought about doing that film many times and I think you're going to get a similar energy from this yeah, one. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of hoping for. This one might be even funnier than that one to me. Damn. Okay. Know? All right. Similar lane. Gotcha. All right. Well, um... We did it. We did the thing, I guess. <laughs> How do we even sign these things out? <laughs> um, well, get her if you could uh, do me the honors. Adios.